Greetings, little one. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Bad witch! I'm not a witch, I'm your wife! What makes you think she's a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt! A newt. What's thou like to live deliciously? Got better. Dost thou comprehend? Welcome to Real Magic, the podcast at the crossroads of real witchcraft and Hollywood magic, where paganism and the supernatural meet their reflections in movies and television, and where we talk about what real magical or life lessons we can learn from fictional witches from 100 years of movie pictures. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. Hi there, witches and weirdos, and welcome to another episode of the Real Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Mason, and I'm excited for you to join me for another episode about some of our favorite witchy pop culture. Now, on the show, I love to ask people about what their favorite witchy or magical stories or movies were growing up. And one of the most popular answers I get is Bewitched. I think a lot of us grew up watching it on Nick at Night reruns or maybe just watching it when it aired live back in the 60s. It is such an important show in the history of television and in the history of witches on screen. And so that's what we're talking about today with author Heather Green, the author of Lights, Camera, Witchcraft. I'm really excited for this conversation and I hope you enjoy it. Also, a quick note, while I was recording this, I had to deal with some people in my house installing new windows. So if you hear hammering or sawing or other weird noises on the recording, I'm very sorry I couldn't find any other time to record this. So that's just the way it goes sometimes. Thanks for your indulgence. So without further ado, let's swiggle our noses and talk bewitched. Welcome, Heather Green, to the Real Magic Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. I was, um, when I first saw your book being advertised by Llewellyn, I was so excited because I'm like, that's the exact kind of book that this whole podcast is about. And I'm so excited. So what can you tell us first about um, Lights, Camera, Witchcraft? Um, well, first, it's going to be out in October. I pre-ordered it. Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so it is, I mean, as far as the subject matter itself is that what I do is I look at the construction of the witch, the character, um, and her narrative from the time Hollywood begins, um, which, you know, I date around late 1800s. So there's no exact date and it really doesn't matter for the study into the to into 2020 um so i'm looking at and i said i said excuse me let me back up i said she because predominantly which constructions are women they're classified yeah. as women but i do and i do look at men as well and other um other all types of witches i look at the definition of the word witch in hollywood what does that mean what does it look like and why does she change over the years um so i'm looking at her construction the way she looks 
Um, what's her story? How is she engaging? How is she being used within the, within the text? And how that changes and why are there trends? Is, why does it look different in 1930 than it does in 2010? So I'm looking at that in relation to gender issues, to politics, to religion, to the treatment of women specifically, power dynamics, um, and a lot of other things come into play, as well as the emergence of the witchcraft community itself and um, the interest in um, alternative spiritualities, the occult, et cetera. So that's what the study is, a very big yeah. story. Yeah, and, I, yeah, it's exactly what this podcast is about, so I'm so excited. <laughs> what I like to say is that I discovered after I finished the book was that the story of the American narrative um, film and television, which is really the story of the American woman, is mm -hmm. what I sort of found because she's a allegory or she's a symbol of that um, reality, of the reality of women in this country. So so it almost parallels that story. So it is in, in many ways, the story of the American woman through that period of time. Yeah. And Bewitched is so pivotal in that, I think. But before we talk about Bewitched, one of the things I really like to ask people uh, when we start off the podcast is, when you were a kid, was there a movie or TV show, and it could have been Bewitched, it's a very popular answer, that was like your gateway drug into becoming like a witchy person or loving witches and magic? Um, I always answer that by saying the Wizard of Oz. Um, that was mine, yeah. <laughs> um, I always said it was my favorite movie. I loved watching it every year. It came on television. Um, I was fascinated by it. And I think it um, partly also fascinated with me with movies itself because I love classic Hollywood cinema. So yeah. that... So it was a gateway in many ways. I don't know it was a gateway into the mystical so much as it was a fascination with all things, the fantasy of it, the movie making, the magic of movie making. Um, I think in terms of, you know, the mystical, I'd probably say the craft was probably more along those lines if we're talking purely like occult interest although I was already I was already interested in it before the craft but the craft kind of excited you know excited me to continue this is also so, my experience right so you had those two parallels right um what's funny about the Wizard of Oz is that when I was young I, I loved it so much and the um my my father taped um and I used taped earnestly here it off CBS when it was on and I had it on VHS tape eventually and I still have that tape with all the commercials oh, and everything wow. and I, love, <laughs> I love to watch it still <laughs> with, that, with the commercials <laughs> yeah I love um like watching this sort of things with like the old commercials because those just you know it's those are such a trip just like oh yeah I remember watching commercials which is something a lot of you know these kids today aren't even familiar with <laughs> No, no, having to watch the commercials, right? Yeah. Well, it's and it's fun. It brings you back. But definitely, I would say to that question, the Wizard of Oz and the Craft were probably two. Yeah. We're going to get along great. These are my two big movies. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> um, yeah. And I just think like the Wizard of Oz is definitely it's magic, magic, but it's also it is movie magic. It's pure movie magic. Like one of my one of my favorite move, moments in all of cinema is when Dorothy walks out of her house into the Technicolor. Oz. And yeah. I think it's it's such a simple use of the technology they had at the time, but it's so 
amazing. And it's such a great way to tell that story and expand her worldview. I just love that. That's one of my favorite moments. Yeah, time. and you really don't have the same effect. You wouldn't have that same effect if you did that today because we're so used to color. We take it for granted. Yeah. And although they were already seeing color prior to The Wizard of Oz, it wasn't new um, mm -hmm. necessarily. It was new enough that it made that even more magical when she walked out. Yeah, they did a kind of comparable thing in the not very good uh, Sam Raimi, uh, the the Wizard of Oz, uh, wonderful Wizard of Oz, I think it was called that, but, oh no, Oz the Great and Powerful with James Morrison, and it was, or James Franco, not a good movie, but they changed the aspect ratio when he goes from the real world into Oz, and that's sort of another way to convey that with cinematic language, but also still not a very good movie. <laughs> no, and it wasn't very effective at all. No, not uh, even close. Not like that. Effect. It wasn't, wasn't remarkable whatsoever. <laughs> The movie, the movie, I do talk about that movie in my book, um, yeah. but that's a whole nother story. But, but that technical piece is not, was not that remarkable. And there are other ways, there are other places where people have done similar things for that shock value. But, um, but, you know, just talking in terms of which movies that, that is definitely a, a fantastic movie. Actually, you know what, there's a movie, there was a movie and I think it was called The Magic Christmas Tree. And, it, and I talk about it in my book. It's it's yeah. not something anybody's going to, very few people might remember it. It's, it's 1960s, um, I want to say television. It was a television show and it was a Christmas show. But the little boy, the beginning of it's in black and white and the little boy runs across a witch in a house. And then she goes to, he goes to a magical world, comes color, goes to color. So it uses that technique. Um, I think it's, it's trying to play off of that idea and remind kids about that but it really is not a very good movie and it's <laughs> not nearly as effective yeah so let's transition to talking about bewitched because it comes at such an interesting time both in depictions of witches but also in an important time in american culture like bewitched came out i think in 1964 that's one year after betty for dan like wrote the feminine mystique and the way women were thinking of their roles as housewives in America was changing. And in comes Bewitched. And I think Bewitched has so much subtext about how Samantha is, you know, she's told by Darren, you have to be like a nice housewife and cook and clean and keep the house and, you know, suppress who you really are and don't use magic, even though it could benefit Darren. And she just never really buys into that. And that's the whole tension of the show is her being herself and um, being a much more powerful woman than the housewife. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's different readings on, on bewitched in that respect, yeah. but um, the way I see it is that she wants to be, she wants to kick her witchdom habit. Okay. Is how I think the text they use. She doesn't want to use magic. She wants to be June Cleaver. And it really, the, the show's trying so hard, or I should say not the show, but but she's trying so hard to create this June Cleaver world. Um, but she just can't. No. She can't do it. And as much as she tries to be this perfect 1950s model wife and mother, she's always dragged back into expressing who she really is, which is the witch. Um, so it's like, it's a conflict in her, but that's the comedy, you know, in that she just can't help but be herself. Mm -hmm. And, um, and the, and then the conflict of course, is that he's 
he likes her when he she's not using magic, but she's always saving him. Yeah. And he winds up loving her no matter what in the end. Yeah, um, to his credit. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, you know, she is this conflict of identity for her, similar to past witches. But in, in this case, she she's trying to give up her magic. She's trying to be the wife of the old shows, but she can't because yeah. life won't let her. Um, things happen and she has to use magic or she just gives up and uses magic. So she keeps expressing who she is and she cannot help it. And, and if allegorically speaking, you're saying it, it, the show, show demonstrates that women can't help but being themselves you know, no matter how we try to stuff ourselves in a box that society or the patriarchy might want us to be, we can't help but step outside if, if that's where our own person allows us to go or wants us to go, I should say. So we can't help but use our own magic. And, and the key thing here is to always understand that in a lot of these shows and uh, movies across time, witchcraft is a symbol for women's power. Yeah innate power, who a woman is and who she expresses herself as. So in this case, Samantha can't stop being herself and using her power, using her personal power, no matter how hard she tries. Mm -hmm. And this is something I was going to bring up later, but there's also a real like queer subtext to that too. And you have Paul Lind coming into the show later when he wasn't really like an out gay character, but he was certainly, there's a lot of subtext to his character as well. And so like, there's a lot of subtext there about just embracing your queer identity as well. And as a queer yeah. woman, like I definitely feel that. Well, and yeah, and, that, and that's the case for, um, and that's the case for any type of witch, when you have a witchcraft world, that world could be a stand-in for any uh, marginalized society. Yeah, okay. Okay. And actually that brings up Belbuck and Candle because Belbuck and Candle, it's witchcraft world was written as that, as a queer sub, as a queer subculture. Yeah. Um, and Bewitched was not a remake or a television remake of, Be of Belbuck and Candle, but it has that same component. It, it was inspired by that. So you have this witchcraft world that's set apart. Um, and so, yes, absolutely. And Paul Lind was, he wasn't expressly stated as being gay, but that was the subtext. That was yeah. the understanding of his character. And there actually is some, some um, articles written about how important his role was for the gay community at the time, because they could relate to him. Yeah. Yeah. And he, and he's also such a, just a fun and fabulous yeah. character. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's the thing is, especially with, with Bewitched sort of also sets the template, I think, of a lot of shows that came after where it's like a magical world versus a mundane world. And the magical world's just so much more fun and so much <laughs> more populated with cooler, fun people compared to the boring human world. And you've got characters like Paul Lynn's character. And then you have like Indora, who is, I think, my favorite character on the show because she is just so much fun. She is living her truth. She's out there with her amazing outfits and fabulous makeup and I love her so much exactly yeah she's she's a mother she's a, she's an anomaly in many ways because she's one of the few or at that time was one of the few actual mothers there's a biological connection between the two of them mother daughter which you don't typically see especially at that point in um witchcraft narratives um usually you have aunties 
um, or grandmothers or something else, but um, Indora is fantastic, but she has a precursor. If you look again at Bell Book and, and Candle, um, the witchcraft world there um, has similar characters and she definitely is modeled on them. It's the same crazy red hair, flamboyant clothing, loud, you know, all of that kind of fun stuff, like just this crazy personality that's super, um, super laughable, but yet you just want to be them, you know, kind of a kind of feel. Um, and Endora definitely captures that. She's also the symbol of the, of the, you know, whether it's the, um, uh, the mother that you just, you know, Samantha, she's Samantha's mother that she just wants to get away from. She doesn't want to listen to her mother. So they have a very normal relationship. So very relatable relationship of the mother daughter experience. Um, but th with the added fun of there being a witchcraft issue. Yeah. Um, and that, and that brings, and that brings up again, back to what you were saying earlier is that the community itself, that witchcraft community is set apart and can be a stand in for another marginalized community or just a different community. So then there's been a lot of academic study about how bewitched is also a symbol, not only of, of the women of the second wave feminism, but also of interfaith, interracial, intercultural uh, marriages and family experiences, because you have that piece too. Yeah, you certainly couldn't show like an actual interracial marriage on TV in 1964. You know, our first interracial kiss wasn't until Star Trek over five years later. Yeah. But you could definitely show, you know, two different quote unquote species or whatever, which is in humans are. And there's a lot of allegory there, especially for, you know, the integration of neighborhoods also. Like there's this whole subplot going on for the whole thing about the nosy neighbor who doesn't want these kind of people in their neighborhood. And exactly. There's a lot of tension there as well. Yes, you see that when that with Adam's family as well as a similar yeah. type of thing. Same, the, the Munsters too. The Munsters, yeah. So you're getting a lot of this. TV had a lot of this. It was it was a little bit more hidden than movies could do at this period of time. But um, but you're getting all of this totally woven into um into these subtexts in these film in these I'm sorry television shows that were um that were really popular and Bewitched was definitely leading and had multiple layers. Yeah, and the, it really helped that it was really fun and funny and had a great cast. Um, one of the interesting things with the show, of course, is it was one of the first shows to really like recast someone with the second Darren. And mm -hmm. I didn't really know until recently like why that happened because Dick, Dick York, the first Darren, he had like a terrible debilitating back injury that he was addicted to painkills and he was just couldn't work. And so they finally just let him quit so he could recover and then brought in Dick Sargent. It was a very smooth transition. Yeah. Yeah, because okay. no one was really watching the show for Darren. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, too. <laughs> no, not at all. Nobody even noticed, right? <laughs> yeah. We we're all watching for Endora and Samantha and Tabitha. <laughs> They're like, he, he, he's got a hard job as an actor to play Darren because, like, a lot of the show, you're like, why is she with this, like, doofus? Like, you know, he's got to have something going for him because he's just sort of, like, wants her to deny who she is and he's kind of helpless, but... I guess yeah, he's not threatening. Like, yeah, but yeah, he but, was, you know, nice. <laughs> yeah, he, like I said, he's not threatening. But I don't, I, you know, I read it not so much as that um, 
she was being coerced more than she wanted. She was she was wanting to play that June Cleaver role. Yeah, she wanted she was normal crying. She wanted to, but she just couldn't. And that's and that's the whole premise is like, you know, you can try to be somebody else, but you're really not going to be very successful at it. You've yeah. got to be you got to live your truth, as you said earlier. Yeah. So where does Bewitch sort of fall in like the evolution of the witch as a character? Because like you mentioned Bell Book and Candle, another precursor to Bewitched is I Married a Witch with Veronica Lake. But there were definitely been other witches on screen before this, but they weren't quite the same where, you know, the witch was our main character on television and the person we're supposed to sympathize the most with. Um. No, um, witches that were sympathetic. Well, let's see. I call her witch next door. Yeah. So the witch next door theme is the idea of the witch um, living in normal society that the, the 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 viewer might recognize. So that would be, like you said, the precursors would be. Um, I married a witch to some degree. Um, she's not exactly the same thing, but it it's it's still the witch in normal society. Let's just put it that way. And then the next one would be Bell Book and, and Candle. And that one is much closer because mm -hmm. here you're looking at a witch that we do sympathize with. We have a witch world. We have the blending of the worlds and that kind of creates attention on the comedy. Um, so, um, and, and just to be clear, none of these are based on the same primary texts. Oh. Um, so that's often a confusion. It's, they're often seen as being all based on the same thing. No, there was a, a different book there was a book for the original, for the older movie. There was a play for Bell, Book, and Candle. And this was sort of inspired by those two, but not quite the same thing, Bewitched. Um, so prior to, just to give an overview of the ideas that the witches that were um, sympathetic prior to this are usually ones that are more grannies. They're more, they're older in animation. They're funnier. Um, they're not necessarily central okay we get more central witches that are more central later especially in horror okay yeah. prior to this witches were sort of secondary characters or they were um women who were um, deranged in some way psychologically repressed they're joan of arc characters um you get a couple joan of arcs which which are out there um so it's it's not witchcraft at this point is not considered real. Yeah. Um, so you don't get a whole lot. And horror movies prior to this period, there were very few horror movies, if any. Um, so you don't get a lot of witchcraft that way. It's mostly fantasy. It's silly. It doesn't exist. So you don't get a lot of um, witch central witch centered movies. The witch was big because we'd had not a lot of sympathetic witches before this show. We'd had Glinda, which I think was the first really, like, really big, sympathetic, nice witch, the, you know, a good witch. But we hadn't had many aside from, like you said, Bell, Book, and Candle, and I Married a Witch. And so it was like a very big transition to have not just a main character as a witch, but a nice witch who was pretty, who wasn't green or old or riding a broom most of the time. <laughs> And, and that's true. Um, there weren't a lot of good witches, if we're talking specifically yeah. good witches. Um, the witches who were central characters, who who weren't necessarily bad, um, and they practiced some kind of witchcraft. I'm thinking Spitfire, 1934. They practiced, these witches, they were young, they're pretty, they practiced some kind of form of magic, 
but they need to be reincorporated. And I talk about this in my book. So prior to the 1960s, any pretty good witch that was outside of a Glinda type, which there were very few, um, they could practice witchcraft or magic, but for a while, but then they had to give it up. Yeah. They had to be reincorporated because magic, remember, is a, is a symbol of women's power. So you can't have power and have marriage. And you had to have marriage because that was the choice. <laughs> so they had to give it up. So when you had a woman, a spitfire, you have Trigger in that movie. She has healing power. She's considered a witch. By the end of the movie, she gives it up. Um, and in order to have marriage and be happy and be the beautiful young person, you could not have magic. So that's why you don't see a lot of Samanthas earlier, because you have a consistent um, narrative that says that the, the, the pretty witch, the young witch, the nice witch, has to choose between her witchcraft and her and a normal life. Okay. Marriage, children is what we're, what's normative. So she typically gives up the magic okay and in the cases where she doesn't and this goes back to the silent error in the cases where she doesn't give back up her witchcraft and you have some um early silent films that are like this she's she's actually killed so you have the yeah. Joan of situation here there aren't that many that kill yeah. young women but it happens <laughs> so you have this reincorporation narrative so in the only cases where you're going to get a pretty young linda is in a fantasy text and there's very few of them and it isn't until the late 1950s and into the 60s where women start to retain their power, to keep their power and to be the good, to be the hero, to be the heroine. Um, they could be beautiful, they could be young and they can be witches. And yeah. they don't have to do anything. And Morticia is a perfect example. Samantha's one example, Morticia is another one. Yeah, and she's, you know, fully herself and one of the most supportive and loving marriages on television. Oh, <laughs> the Adams family? Yeah. I just, it's yeah. like, it's when you look at it, like they, it's such a functional family when you really think of it. Absolutely. And it takes that, it takes the bewitched um, uh, storyline, the bewitched narrative, or I should not the narrative, but the bewitched theme to, a, to the next level, because in bewitched, remember, she's trying to be June Cleaver. She's trying not to be herself and she fails miserably every single time. So that narrative is telling women, you can try to be somebody else, but you're just not going to succeed. So just be yourself. Morticia, on the other hand, and the Adams family is, I'm myself, love it or leave it. Yeah. She's not trying to be anyone but Morticia. Absolutely. So it takes that message a little bit further. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, Adam's family didn't run as long as uh, Bewitched. However, the Adam's family has been more successful in, since as a... Yeah, as a, it uh, becomes such a cultural touchstone, especially. Yes, exactly. Yeah, the Adam's family movie is way better than the Bewitched movies. I'm just going <laughs> to come out and say yes. that. <laughs> Now, Bewitched, going past the actual show's success, the Bewitched has not done um, that well. It's only that original show that that really has held on. And I think that's because it was so much of its time, because it was so much in the 60s with the tension of the 50s housewife versus like the liberated 60s woman. And you couldn't, you know, kind of in good conscience, make a show like that in the modern day, because Darren would be like, 
an asshole if he if there was like <laughs> like he was sort of acceptable as like a man of his time even though he's kind of a tool sometimes but like if you tried to put Darren even in like the 80s or the 90s like what a jerk it would be like just don't be yourself yeah and I agree so like, I think, yeah yeah I agree completely um bewitched was definitely a um a product of its time and whereas the Adams family is fantasy so you can take and plop the Adams family in, in any place yeah. and, it, and it'll do okay whereas bewitched was very specific and um and it was fantastic um definitely um but you can't just easily plop something that was so entrenched in the politics and social um commentary of the time and put it in another decade it's not that easy yeah and I think like filmically the way bewitch was made is so much of its time too and that's part of its charm like the very the, the practical effects which is something i love and you know if it was to be made today it would be done with like cgi blubber and one of the things i loved about the bewitched spoof episode of wandavision is that they really actually brought in people who had worked on shows like bewitched and did practical effects for all of wanda's magic in the bewitched episodes and i just love that they did real effects rather than CGI when it was Marvel and they could so easily have done CGI. They were so true to the spirit of Bewitch that they like, no, no, we're going to do stuff on strings. We're going to use magnets. We're going to, you know, do the way that they did it back then. And that's what I think WandaVision is really the only version of Bewitched we've seen reiterated that's been successful. Yeah. And I have not seen that episode yet, but oh, sorry, spoiler. <laughs> No, no, no. It's fine. I love it. Um, no, I haven't actually been following WandaVision very closely. So, um, and I heard great things about it, but yeah, I'm glad they did that because it really, if you're going to capture um, a piece from another decade, um, another era, using the technology and from that period is part of it. It's, you yeah. can't, you can't use, you can't CGI Samantha's magic. This was the rant I went on in our episode about the original movie, The Witches, and the remake, because the original Witches was great because they used practical mm -hmm. um, makeup and special effects, and the remake is just all CGI, and it's terrible, and it's just so fake looking and empty, so... I just I'm a fan of practical effects when you can do them <laughs> there's time and a place for CGI but yeah. they often I think go go haywire with it just to show it look what we can do with computers well <laughs> if it doesn't serve the story please don't do it yeah. that's my that's my feeling but the um but yeah remakes are tough especially when when films or television shows are so grounded like I said in 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 their period and have so much of the politics and the and the social commentary of the time, when those are so embedded inside the story and the narrative and the themes, you can't just plop them into, you know, another decade when when that stuff is different. It's, it doesn't mean the same thing. You know? Yeah. Going back to sort of what you said about Samantha as like trying to be, you know, a wife and this traditional liberated, uh, non-liberated woman, and that the contrast we see with Indora again, who is her mother, but you know, not until later in the series do we even like meet Samantha's father. It's sort of implied that Indora's off on her own without a husband and doing what she wants. And she's a really fun and empowering character, even though she's a side character. 
And absolutely. And um, that's one of the conflicts between them. And that's the brilliance, the layered meanings that we find in the show, because you have, it's, it's all, that whole tension is embodied in a typical mother-daughter relationship. Her hatred for Darren um, that could be any mother-in-law. That's like it's like any mother. mother-in-law. Their relationship is the same as any other, um, as 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 many mother. I'm sorry, mother-in-law, son-in-law relationships. So you, except of course, it's comedy. So you have the the witchcraft there, um, but so you get that layered piece where it's not only about the tension between a mother not liking her daughter's choices. That's one piece on one level, but the choices then you have below that is, not the choices, I'm sorry, the tension you have below that is the tension between the liberated woman and the woman trying not to be liberated. And Endora being the example, like you said, of the liberated woman um, trying to liberate, we're trying to help liberate the younger woman who keeps trying to revert back to a 1950s housewife which is kind of funny because you have the older woman doing you would think it would be just the opposite but it's not in this yeah. case um it flips that on its head and that's the other tension the mother is is disliking her daughter's choice and that choice is to become un, a, a 1950s housewife and the mother's going what are you doing get with the times you know yeah. and now she's saying stay with witchcraft she's saying something different but that's what she's saying you know, essentially what she's saying. And again, we, I take that back to the idea that witchcraft magic is the um, symbol of women's power. Her, so, so when Endora says to Samantha, don't give your, up your witchcraft, use witchcraft. What she's saying is don't give up your power. Yeah. Don't give up your personal power. What you're doing and you're going to give up your witchcraft, you're giving up your personal power. So Endora saying, you know, you're a witch, be a witch is saying you're a woman, you have power, don't give that up. So there's, see the layering there? Yeah. Darren doesn't mean anything. Darren, please. I mean, we don't need those powers of hers. Uh, we can handle things very well by ourselves. Oh, you think so, do you? Now, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but we want to live normal lives. What is normal to you, young man, is to us asinine. <laughs> Samantha is what she is, and that you cannot change. Mother, I made the decision myself. Yes, I know. A decision I do not approve. Samantha and I can handle our problems by ourselves. They're nobody else's business. Darren, please. Are you threatening me? Not exactly. Darren, please understand. Mother means well. Don't you worry, my poor baby. Your mother will see to it that you're treated properly. I have every intention of treating her properly without any help or interference from you. Young man! Mother, don't! Very well. Just consider yourself lucky that you are not, at this moment, an artichoke. <laughs> so from now on, watch your step, young man. Mother is watching you. <laughs> She's really very nice when you get to know her. I, like, as many folks of my generation, I watched a lot of Bewitched on Nick at Night. Like, growing up, it was always on, and so I grew up with this show. Um, and I didn't, for some reason, Nick at Night didn't have the new Darren episodes for a really long time. They only had it in black and white. And so when I got older and I found out, oh, there's color Bewitched, and there's, a, <laughs> there's just some other guy as Darren. Okay, cool. There's, like, this whole other bonus series. 
But I loved Indora because she reminded me so much of my grandmother, my mother's mother. And I say that with love. I've posted pictures. She sort of looked like Indora. Um, but she was a woman who uh, had been divorced in the late 60s, 70s. She grew up um, illegitimate in the South in the 30s. And so she was a woman who had fought so hard for having any sort of recognition and power. She was, um, in a Southern way, very bonkers. <laughs> but she was a character, as we would say. But that's one of the reasons she reminded me of Endora is because she was so much, even when, when society told her, don't be yourself, you know, make yourself smaller, make yourself more in line with being a 50s housewife. She couldn't do that. It just wasn't who she was. And that caused her a lot of heartache in the real world. But that's why I saw so much of her in Endora, because it was just this powerful, outspoken, kind of crazy woman who was the you know, older generation. And so I always sort of associated her with uh, my grandmother, same with like Auntie Mame sort of characters and Rosalind Russell, like always reminded me of my grandmother. So like watching Bewitched always sort of connected me to her. And I'm sure at some points we watched it together on Nick at Night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's pretty fantastic. And she, and she, I think she set the tone for a lot of, of the similar characters going forward. Yeah. But she also connects again, she connects to the, to, to the characters from Bell Book and Candle, where you have um, her aunt, I think it's Aunt Queenie and um, several other characters that are in there. And I rem there's another, um, and I'd have to, I have to look it up. I can't remember her name. There's another character in there that are in the witch world that are both, um, they have red hair. They're again, crazy, like I said earlier. So she sort of modeled off of that. And then if you look forward at anti-type characters, yeah. Not necessarily mothers, anti-type characters or new age, older women um, is how they're sort of defined going forward into the 80s, 90s. Um, I'm thinking hello again. I'm thinking um, where else do you see them? Even practical magic to a degree. Yeah, she's very much right like there. the ants in the practical magic. Exactly. She's sort of, there's sort of this, this model. And that's one of the, one of the constructions of witches is that, um, if, is the ant, is the crazy ant. We'll say it, we'll call it, we'll call yeah. it what it is. Crazy yeah. ant. I have um, a nephew now. I'm so excited to be the crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she's, and you know, she's not, she's not crazy. She's fun. I'm just using that term, yeah. but there's a model there that is a construction and she's a, she's a mother and a grandmother in this case. And I'm talking about Endora, but she's playing that role in this, in this case. And she is definitely, she's probably the first one you think of. I mean, she's fantastic, bold as all the colors she wears. <laughs> And I think like for that kind of crazy grandmother, crazy aunt character, it's not a coincidence that they're usually women who are over 40, over 50, who are like, you know, past quote unquote, like childbearing age, but they're past the burden of having to be like a wife or a sex object or fit into, you know, the mating market or whatever we want to call it. Like they have lost their usefulness to the patriarchy. <laughs> And so we can just say, fuck it. It's like that I'm, when I'm an old woman, I will wear purple sort of poem that, you know, everyone had in like the late 90s. It's they have been freed from the constraints of having to comply with society's expectation. And so that allows them to step into their power. And so even though usually these stories don't allow them to be main characters, because once again, we have to have the pretty younger, 
you know, sexually available woman as the main character. These are so empowering because like they are sort of hope for, okay, once, you know, once you're no longer a Samantha, you get to be an Endora and that's so much more fun. Like, I can't wait to grow up and be an Endora. <laughs> I know who, who doesn't want, who, who doesn't want to have midnight margaritas? And, yeah, uh... exactly. I'm going to wear those exact <laughs> outfits to my daughters, you know, when she's on a date, just going to throw, fly in with some purple eyeshadow. And <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, no, and that's true. And that's a really good point because a lot of the, the models that I look at in my book, the, the roles for the older witch. And, and when I say older, that is definitely you've lost your usefulness to the patriarchy. And that's exact. I talk about that specifically, yeah. that, that model inside uh, my book. And there's only a couple roles. You either become ostracized in, in the outskirts of society as the old witchy woman. The and, that's a role. Yeah. and that's a role for some people. I'm, you know, you either have the Baba Yaga type figure who's fearful, feared, excuse me, or you have like the film Resurrection where she makes that choice and says, I'm just going to live on society and be the crazy old witch woman um, that people come to for magic, but they're terrified of her. And you get a lot of that. So those are, that's one role. The other role is the Endora role. And so when we're looking at younger women, younger women who can keep their power, live in society and, and, and have magic and have a husband and have that, that's Samantha. Now with Endora, we see the older woman who can have her magic, who can have her, her makeup and her, her um, clothing and the style and be as um, exotic as she is in all the ways she wants to be, but still be in society. So you have her being revolutionary in terms of older de depictions of older witches. Um, because prior to this, most of, most of the older women had to step back. They did live, even if they were good, they lived outside of society. Yeah. Um, and if, and the ones that lived inside were usually bad. So you yeah. have the wicked witch being an example of a sort of an example of that. Um, so you have the crone, the different crones. Here you have a crone figure that is wearing makeup, that's not getting away from society, that refuses to leave, that's involving herself, yeah. um, that's as spectacular to watch as her daughter. So you have a you have sort of a feminist movement for the crone here as well in Adora. Yeah. It's, she's just fabulous. So let's talk about like the influence of Bewitched. I think like the, the nearest in time, you know, copycat of Bewitched in a lot of ways was I Dream of Jeannie, which is, but had a very different dynamic because we have this magical, powerful woman who happens to be blonde and has a signature physical uh, move to activate her magic, but she's literally a slave to... <laughs> Um, yeah yeah and, and calls and I, master I mean, like that's like it's definitely <laughs> taking this like empowered woman like oh no you can be very very powerful you can be all powerful but you have to live in a bottle and call a man master <laughs> right it had its own problems um and i didn't study that because i don't consider yeah, her really, really a witch, witch. <laughs> but um but yeah the it, that has its own problems and she's what half naked most of the time yeah. so there's a there's the uh, that aspect as well so there's a definite different dynamic between the relationship between um, Darren and Samantha and 
um, Jeannie and what, what was his Major name? I, don't Nelson, know. I think. Major Nelson. Yes, that's right. That's Larry exactly Hatton, right. Yeah. <laughs> there, and he has a title. I mean, use it major and all, you know, I think there's a definite different dynamic going on in that. And I think it played off because it was looking for the magic piece. And then after, after Bewitched did so well, everybody wanted the master, the magic yeah. piece everybody wanted to model a little bit on that wanted to use it. she actually appears in a few movies sort of as samantha not not as samantha but with that suggestion um there was even like a flintstones crossover wasn't there or? i there may be she it, it appears it appears a lot and in, in, in fact there's a there's a cartoon that i study called honey half witch mm-hmm. and they changed the look and feel of the cartoon in an attempt to save the, the animation studio. They changed the look and feel of the cartoon to sort of model a little bit on Bewitched. Yeah. So, so that it really was, people were pulling off of it. I think it, it shut down, what was it, 72? Yeah, around 72. And yeah, so that's a yeah. long run. Very long run, especially in like in that era of television. And like... Yeah going from 64 to 72, like this is a huge change just in American culture. Like probably yes. by the time they hit 72, which probably felt a bit dated because we'd have a whole, you know, the sixties had happened. <laughs> right. And, and by, by 1972, the, our relationship with witchcraft changed. Yeah. We recently so, did yeah. an episode on Rosemary's baby, which was 68. And that really like, bringing in like all this bringing back from you know the renaissance and the burning times the satanic elements of witchcraft into the popular consciousness was a big deal yeah and it had been it had been knocking at the door for quite some time and then 1968 when they got rid of the production code and um rosemary's baby was right there as it was happening um all of a sudden the like i i say all hell broke loose literally because at that point we had all of a sudden we were allowed to have a horror witch mm-hmm. in full and it brought with it hundreds of, um, maybe not hundreds, maybe I'm exaggerating, but a huge amount of witch horror films. And and not only that, but you have to remember, this was the time that the occult and the modern witchcraft movement and the modern pagan movement emerged. Mm-hmm. And so at the same time, our understanding and our social relationship with witchcraft and the occult changed drastically from 1964 to 1972. So looking at Bewitched in 1972, a housewife using witchcraft and comedy to that resembles a 1950s housewife, it's outdated by this point. Um, yeah. You know, witchcraft is now allowed to be openly expressed as the occult and, and magic and um, the new age movement and all that's it's all wrapped up in that it's no longer just funny yeah um, it's no longer just fantasy because bewitched really is embedded in fantasy even though it's in the real world it really is relies on that fantasy aspect that's not gonna cut it in 1972 yeah and it's not for a while that we really see like another character like samantha i mean i'm thinking you know we it's not really until the nineties and like the Wiccan wave there when we get like charmed and practical magic that we kind of get these heroine nice witches again as like the central character. Like I'm right. sure there are, you know, there are lesser known things probably in the seventies and eighties, but I'm drawing a blank, <laughs> but you're the expert here. Yeah. Well, most, most of the seventies, you get a lot of horror. Um, yeah. So you're not seeing, you're not really seeing that. They did try to do Tabitha in the 1970s, which was yeah, a yeah. spinoff and it failed miserably. You can't even watch it. That's how bad it was. 
yeah. I think I don't know. I don't know if you can even get a, get a glimpse on that one, but um, that lasted. I think maybe three or maybe a pilot in a few episodes. I can't remember how long. Maybe a whole season of six or seven. I don't remember how long it lasted, but it was less than a year. And um, but the, its time had been done at that point. And I really don't think we see another witch next door. Um, in that same way until, like you said, the 90s. I'm just trying to scan the 80s. I don't really think so. And then we had the satanic panic. So it was until the 90s and we start to see 96, 97, 98 that we start to get that. And really, Sabrina. Yeah, the, Sabrina. The live action like, Sabrina is going to be the first big one. And that um, has so much in common with Bewitched. Like really like the whole idea of like a witch is sort of they're sort of a separate species with their own world and their own rules. That's very much what Sabrina was. And I love right. the original Sabrina <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. and and wacky I, ants were the most fun. There you go. See, Sabrina, I think is the closest you get, um, even though she's not um, married um, with child, she's a teenager. It's that's where you're going to hit the, the most like, um, bewitched um charmed is too fantasy and though it's the same concept like you're saying positive female witches at the center you get that you get a little bit in in buffy the vampire slayer you get a little you get practical magic um and there's a few you even get a slice in the craft a little bit in the craft although it goes a little bit too far to horror to really um yeah. to do that but really sabrina the teenage witch the series really hits it on the head and brings back that spirit of comedy um the fantasy embedded next to embedded into reality um the aunties who are again they're similar to endora they're not quite as flamboyant unfortunately but um you have the cat in there um you have um all kinds of other magical figures as well as um mundane characters or what harry potter would would call a um a uh muggle sorry muggle so yeah and I, I think you can also see Indora, Indora's influence in Winifred from Hocus Pocus just in like the look and just the fabulousness of that character like you visually she's very much like Indora and sort of an attitude too she's the one having the most fun and just she's kind of Indora taken to a bit more murderous extreme <laughs> I love that yeah <laughs> Absolutely. I think, and and one of the, one of the, I I call these witches clown witches. Mm -hmm. Um, And really the the clown witch style started in the, it started in the early um, 1900s. It's sort of this flamboyant um, visual approach to the witch, very fantasy based at that point. But then, you know, you get it, you dive into that again in Bell Book and Candle, you show, you show the fifties version of it. It's this fun Kind of, and I say I use clown just like I use crazy in sort of just a descriptive way. They're not really clowns, but they're just flamboyant and fun. And you they're, get they're camp. Yes. And camp. to bring it into like the queer subtext of it all as well. It's very camp. Like very, so very camp. Like they could be drag personas. And in, so. in many ways, absolutely. And I think you're right, Winifred, they do they're in the murderous form, they do um have that same clown witch and i believe that's what i call them in my book uh, clown witch appearance um that camp that that crazy um, dramatic look and end characterization yeah and again what i aspire to in my 
(laughs) They've just announced today that there will be, they've they've mentioned it before, but Hocus Pocus 2 coming out 2022 with Sarah Jessica Parker and Bette Midler and Kathy and Jimmy all back. I'm so excited. It's probably going to be terrible. I don't care. I'm so excited. I'm not a Hocus Pocus fan, so I'm just going to tell you, we differ on that one. <laughs> I, can, I can let that go. <laughs> Different strokes. Like, I, it's I, okay. I have a... I did, enjoy the, I did enjoy the remake of The Witches, though. It was... Um, I, I didn't love it, but I think it was a little more interesting than the original Witches. Um, although Angelica Houston is pretty fantastic. Yeah. But the rest of that movie was pretty, uh, you know... It's a horror movie for children, like the original Witches. It's like, it's terrifying. I know, exactly. Exactly. Um, I, I, did, I didn't mind the new one. I think they had some layers in it that, were, that made it a little bit more interesting. I wish in the new Witches, they just kind of, they had a lot of interesting ideas, especially with like the racial dynamics that they were kind of hinting at. I wish they'd gone farther on that and maybe like developed those ideas a bit more than they yeah. actually did in the film. Yeah, they're not they're not uh, films that were, are going to win awards, but no, no, they're not. Especially and not for special effects on that second. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> but yeah, that's such like there's just so much as the witch develops and I'm so excited to dig into Lights Camera Witchcraft when it is re- so this is a re-release right you so it's a book that you have like updated from a previous uh yes. publication right yes the original um version was Bell Book and Camera um and that was published a few years ago and it only um it came out in 2018 um this is a um an updated version totally new um if you read the first one, um, you're going to still enjoy this one because there's a lot more material and it's not just updated at the, at the end, just to get it up to 2020. I actually get in, in depth in some of the stuff that the first one didn't get into. Um, I add a lot more about, um, othering throughout. So I capture more of the films that do include indigenous others, um, and, um, how that, how different, um, peoples are treated um, in terms of witchcraft. So I get a little bit more into that. Um, I dive into a few extra films that were not mentioned in the first or were mentioned briefly in the first. So it's a little bit more in depth throughout. Um, So I definitely encourage people who have read the first one to pick up the second one. um, If they, if they enjoyed getting, want to go deeper. (laughs) But Bell Book and Camera, like that one's actually kind of hard to find. Um, Out of print. Yeah, it's out of print. So like, I was like, I saw it on Amazon. I'm like, oh, I really want this. Like, oh, it's $80, <laughs> which yeah. I don't begrudge you your $80. <laughs> no, 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 It's out of, no, thank you. <laughs> That's okay. Don't spend $80 on it. Wait for the next one. Yeah. You'll get all the same stuff, but um, you'll get all the same stuff plus more with the new one. Absolutely. But um, Bell Book and Camera's out of print. So yeah, that's, that's why, why it was kind of. Yeah, it's been out of print for quite some time. So I'm so excited that this is coming back into print. And I, if anyone, like anyone listening to this podcast, it's a perfect book for you. I'm excited to dig into it. Hopefully we'll have you back sometime to talk about more witches. Um, where can people, other than ordering your book, uh, I'm sure you get on Amazon. I ordered it on Llewellyn. Uh, where else can we find you online and find your work? Um, well, let's see. Um, I'm on um, Twitter um, at Marisolina01. I'm on Facebook. Um, that's um, 
I've got, um, I do have Instagram and I'm working on trying to be good about Instagram. So I'm sort of, sort of getting uh, into Aren't that. we all? Yeah. yeah. Here's all the, you know, every social media, all the social medias. Um, so you can find me easily that way. And I'm, I'm out and about. Come find me. Come awesome. talk witches with me. And the yeah. one thing I do want to say about the book, which I think people for your podcast might enjoy knowing if you really love these movies, um, I highly recommend you read my book while you watch the movies. It makes it so much more fun. So each chapter has a list of movies at the back that I talk about or are related. And I don't specifically talk about each one in depth, but those are the movies that relate. So you can go and look at the list. And as I talk about them, watch the movie because it's yeah. so much more fun that way. To, oh, yeah. To- and it's there's so, so many it'll be it's a like a whole year or more of which movie watching I mean or show exactly. watching. why not <laughs> that's my 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 whole life right now because I'm doing this podcast and um this is I guess official announcement I'm writing a book about the show Supernatural it's like a binge watcher's guide to Supernatural it's going to be out in September and so like all I do is watch which movies and Supernatural and then like movies my daughter wants me to watch which are usually witch movies so watch <laughs> watch the descendants for like the 18th time yesterday and oh. so like I've seen sometimes, that oh they're fun I love descendants they're, so, it's, they're such fun little movies uh they are actually <laughs> um and I just see yeah, I'm so happy that my kid gets to like grow up with like her heroes being like Maleficent's daughter with purple hair like I would have killed for that sort of like icon when I was little with all her leather and ah, great but yeah it's so yeah I, I'm excited to see this book and find more movies to watch because <laughs> there's a lot even as like a pod a witchy movie and podcast host I haven't seen because like some of them are hard to find I know yeah. like two that I know that are kind of used to be hard to find is like Hexen which is like a really old one and um I Married a Witch those are both on HBO Max and yeah I I Married a Witch you can find because it's an American movie Hexen you should be able to find now but I remember this is only American movies so you know I I'm not gonna and I I have to state it throughout (laughs) because often when I do talks people will say well what about um what about uh, Paxson, for example? And yeah. I'd be like, well, that's not an American movie, so I'm not talking about it. Now, I'm, I may mention it at a point, but it's not, it doesn't apply because I'm studying the American um, movies, but um, there are so many, even just in the United States that have made, been, been made by Hollywood. I mean, I was surprised and I know I'm still finding ones. Well, I missed that one. I didn't even yeah. know. I just, it's, it's the witch and witchcraft are such a ubiquitous um symbol and theme and magic is such a symbolic element of so many different stories in our culture that it's like it's endless and and that's fun yeah and I love that because it means I get to there's not going to be any shortage of things to make podcast episodes about you can't be bored I can't be bored (laughs) thank you so much for joining me today and everyone go out and pre-order this book and thank you again for coming on Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's super fun. I'll come on anytime to talk witches with you. Yay. Thank you. And that's our episode. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Real Magic Podcast. As always, if you enjoy the show, please follow us on Twitter. We're at Real Magic Pod. Or you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Fangirling Jess. You can 
review the show, subscribe, tell your friends, and leave us a rating that really helps us to reach more listeners. There'll be a lot of new news coming in the next few months. We're hopefully launching a Patreon. And also, as I mentioned, I am working on a book that's going to be coming out later this year all about my favorite show, Supernatural. So keep an eye out for that. Watch the Twitter feeds for all the news that's fit to tweet. And until the next episode, remember, don't marry a human man. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye, cruel world. Bye-bye, cruel world. Goodbye to life. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, Goodbye, Goodbye to all. <laughs>